Let's get our Bibles out this morning. Proverbs chapter 6, we're in verses 16 through 19. We've been preaching our way through Proverbs 6. So far, we've looked at the folly of bad financial commitments. We've studied the nature of the lazy man by considering the ant. We've uncovered the character traits of the wicked man. We just finished up that. And now we're going to look at seven things that God hates. It might seem counterintuitive to think that the God who is love hates certain things, but we're going to find out that God hates things that hurt people because God loves people. Amen? Did you hear that? God hates things that hurt people because he loves people. And as God's children, we should hate the things that hurt people, that keep them in sin and bondage, because it reflects the heart of our Father when we do. So I'm going to read to you verses 16 through 19 of Proverbs 6. First, I'm going to ask the Lord to bless the word. Father, we ask you to bless the word this morning. May it go forth in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Father, may this preaching not be done uh, in the savvy or in the intellect of man, but may it be done in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, open our eyes and open our hearts and drive truth deep in us. Help us to see the principles and the gems and the wisdom you've tucked into these words that you've put in Scripture uh, for those who will seek you beyond the casual that will seek you with their whole heart. Let that be us today. And Holy Spirit, show us truth and open our eyes. Send us away encouraged by the power of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Today, as we look at these six plus one, these seven things that the Lord hates, he says they're an abomination to him. The first one we're going to look at is in verse 17, a proud look. Now, when you hear this text, I, I would guess that you feel the same way about it as when I heard it. When we hear that God hates something, Sometimes that might seem to throw us off a little bit. Can anyone agree like that? There are people that think, well, God would never hate anything. But the truth is the scripture says over and over and in different places, and especially here in this text, that God hates these seven things. Now, hate is a strong word, isn't it? It's a valid emotion, but it's a strong word. And you know what? I would think that most of us realize that we need to probably minimize the amount of hating we do. Nobody likes a hater. And there are people that just, you know, uh, they're always negative. They're always judgmental. They're always picking at people and, and, and being jealous of people's success or, or people's achievements. And, you know, they're called haters. And uh, we look at hate, and we would never want to uh, equate hate with God. But the truth is the Bible says that God hates some certain things. Now, it's a valid emotion. It's a strong response. But there are many different levels of hate. You can hate something on one level, and then there are, there are levels that are higher. I'll give you an example. I could say, you know what? It's one thing to say, I hate pistachio ice cream. Anybody? I love it. So I, I just tricked you. But, you know, you could say, I, I hate a certain food, and that's one thing. We're all right with that, right? We can have 
preferences, amen? You know, not everybody has to eat oysters and artichokes, and I'm waiting for a response. But it's another thing to take it to another level and say, well, I hate oppressive governments that persecute the church. I hate what the church has to go through in China, that it has to hide, that it has to be underground. Come on, do you hate what governments do to people by pushing tyranny on them and enslaving them? It's going on all around us. You could take it to a higher level. You could say, I I hate a certain group. Now the rubber's getting to hit the road, right? But you know what? I hate racism. I I hate these groups that perpetuate it. I have no love for the Ku Klux Klan or or all of these things. And to say, well, I hate that, you know, that's that's not sin. Because God hates those things too. He hates injustice. He hates racism. He hates those who are unjustly persecuted. He hates tyranny and oppression. Now, it's another thing to take it to the final level to say, I hate an individual. Yet, we could all agree today in the eyes of history, after someone's passed away, you could say, well, I hate Adolf Hitler for what he did to kill six million Jews. And you could be justified in that. But I would suggest that we need to really minimize the hate we have for individuals. You can hate certain food. You can hate pistachio ice cream. You can hate ideologies and groups and oppressive governments. But listen, when it comes to people, as New Testament Christians, we have got to love people because there's always the chance, no matter how wicked they are or no matter how hearts they're far, their hearts are far away from God, they can be saved and they can be born again and they can be being brand new, amen? Think about how God in Scripture used some of the people who did the worst of things. Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Paul killed Christians. So we've always got to leave grace for people. I would suggest never hating individuals. No matter how bad their conduct is at the moment, there's always room for grace. So hate's valid. It's applicable in certain senses. Uh, people who blanketly say, well, Christians should never hate anything aren't reading God's word careful enough because there are things that God, in all his holiness, in all his perfection, hates. He hates these things. Why? Because they hurt what he loves, and what he loves are people. When he sees the effects of sin on people, God hates it. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. He wants everyone to be saved. And he hates these things because they destroy souls for eternity. The Christian who says, well, you know, hate shouldn't be a part of our vocabulary. Well, there again, not reading God's word close enough. God hates certain things. And as God's children, we should hate certain things, injustice, tyranny, child abuse, false doctrine that leads people to eternal damnation. And of course, we have to hate the evil of sin. Church, you know, we're, we're too, you know, sometimes we, we just are, are too flimsy when it comes to sin. It's almost that we have an affinity for it. It's almost that we make an excuse for it. Hello, Full Gospel Center. Amen. Are you alive out there? Amen. And you know, the truth is, until we hate sin, we're never going to get free from it. 
The alcoholic who loves alcohol and loves to be drunk is not going to get free. The drug addict who loves to be high all the time is not going to get free. The person who loves pornography and gives themselves over to it is not going to be free. You say, until when? Until they hate it. We've got to hate sin. We've got to love godliness and righteousness and hate sin. I've never been able to overcome any sin in my life that I loved. Now, the Bible says the pleasures of sin are for a season, so all sin is fun at first. Amen? We don't usually, you know, I have to sin again today. It's just what I have to do. No, our flesh gets excited about it. Woo, this is going to be fun. And then sin always takes you further than you wanted to go, costs you more than you wanted to pay, leaves you feeling empty, robs you of things that you can never get back. So we've got to love God, and we've got to hate sin. Now, uh, the, the person who doesn't understand this doesn't understand the word of God, and it doesn't understand how to be a child of God, because until we hate these things that destroy people like our father does, we're not going to have the heart of God. Uh, listen to some scriptures that reinforce this idea. Proverbs 8:13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Look what it says. The fear of the Lord is to hate what? Evil, the evil of sin. Psalm 97.10, hate evil. You who love the Lord, who, watch, who watches over the souls of his godly ones, he saves them from the hand of the wicked. Romans 12.9, love must be free of hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, or some translations say detest there's a, there's a visceral response to it that we detest, we hate sin and wickedness, and it says cling to what is good. The church needs to get a backbone and needs to get some resolve and to stand against wickedness and to hate sin because it's destroying our generation, it's destroying our children, it's destroying our marriage, it's destroying our nation, and we've got to detest it. Jesus actually commends the church of Ephesus for hating the false doctrine of the Nicolaitans in uh, uh, Revelation 2. Listen to this. Revelation 2, Jesus is speaking to the churches, and he's, he's disciplining the church of Ephesus by correcting them, and he is also commending them for hating what he hates. Revelation 2 five through six. Therefore, remember where you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Listen, but you have this. God's saying you're doing something good. You got something going for you that you hate the deeds or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans was that that word is a compound word, Nico or Nike, which means victory, and, and laitans means laity. So there are churches that literally have victory over the laity. What does that mean? That means they suppress and withhold the truth from the people. They say, we'll read the Bible for you and tell you what it means. We'll tell you what sound doctrine is. You don't read the Bible. You don't interpret the Bible. You don't have a relationship with God. You come to us, and we'll have a relationship with God in your place. 
And God says, I hate that. I hate churches that would, would destroy the connection that God wanted to have with people. The reason Jesus died and rose again is so we could have an intimate connection with Jesus Christ, not so we could have some group or board or, or a special bunch of people up above us who would hand feed us and spoon us and tell us what. No, we're supposed to have a relationship with God. God says, I hate that church system that does that. Wow. Woo. And he says, you hate it too, and I'm commending you for it. It was the one thing the church of Ephesus had going for them. Uh, Jesus commends them, and they hate what God hated, and he said that's a good attribute to have. So these six plus one things that are listed here in, in Proverbs 6, God calls them something special. He says, six things the Lord's hate, seven are an abomination. Say an abomination. Now, that word is not a word we use a lot, but yet that word is a very descriptive word. The word translated abomination from the Hebrew means disgusting, detestable, and idolatrous. Does that sound good? Disgusting, detestable, and idolatrous. That's not... Uh, that doesn't describe anything good. So when God says, you know, these things are disgusting to me, they're detestable to me, they're idols to me. What's an idol? Something that flies in the face of God and replaces God. God says, these things are an abomination to me. That's pretty strong, amen? And God hates them because they destroy people, and he loves people. Amen? Somebody's getting the Holy Ghost right there. Let's look at the first abomination that makes the list. It's in verse 17. It's a simple phrase. It says, a proud look. A proud look or a haughty eye. Some translations say haughty eyes. Say haughty. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, haughty. Amen. Not haughty. I said haughty. <laughs> Some people are trying to get a date right now. A proud look or haughty eyes. Now, to me and to you, it should be no surprise that the first offense, the most offensive thing to God is something that has to deal with the pride of man. Pride has always been a, an abomination to God. It's always been disgusting, detestable, and idolatrous in God's sight. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's unwarranted and it's unappreciative. If I'm proud, my pride is unwarranted. If I'm proud, it shows that I am unappreciative of God's grace in my life. Now, let me flesh this out for you. You see, the reason me being proud would be unwarranted is because of this, because I'm a sinner saved by grace, because all my works were as filthy rags in the sight of God that in my flesh no good thing dwelled, that my heart was deceitfully wicked. And God, by his grace, pulled me out of the mud and the mire and the sin and covered me with the blood of his son and declared me righteous, not by my own works, not by the good things I did, not because I was his favorite, but because he was gracious to me. So for me to be proud about that and, and somehow puff myself up because of the grace of God in my life is totally unwarranted. All my gifts and talents were given to me and to you by God. If there's anything in us that's good, it's because of God's grace in our life. 
You, you don't think you deserved all those blessings you got, do you? You don't think you're so good looking just because you deserved it, did you? You ever look in the mirror and go, way to go, God. You, you get older, you look in the mirror and you say, I want to talk to the manager. But you know, the blessing of God in our lives, that's all from him, amen? We didn't deserve that. It's grace. So for me to be proud or puffed up about it, it's foolishness. It's unwarranted. Now, how is it unappreciative? Because you know what? There again, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. So for me to use it to elevate myself above other people or to puff myself up or to get other people to notice me, uh, that's unappreciative. You see, our gifts are given to us because they are meant, we're meant to serve others. Now it's quiet. No, no, it's for me to build an empire and get really rich and write my own book and cut my own record and be a household name. That's not why God gifted you. Our gifts are given to us so we could serve others. You know the worship team up here? Every one of them's really gifted. They've got gifts from God. They, they've developed their gifts, and, and, and they use them to God's glory, not so you'll notice them. Now it's really quiet. Oh, I thought this was a concert. No, it's not a concert. It's worship. Amen. Amen. Now, we use our gifts and do our best, but we never want to draw attention to ourselves. The world uses their gifts to draw attention to themselves, to, to build their own wealth, to build their own notoriety, to make themselves household names, to elevate themselves above others. That's not what we're gifted for. That's not what we're blessed for. So if I use the grace of God and the gifts of God and the favor of God in my life to elevate myself, it shows I'm unappreciative and it's unwarranted because it's not my doing, it's all God's grace. And we talk about pride a lot. In a lot of messages that we preach here at the Full Gospel Center, we have to deal with pride. It's a common theme in the New Testament and the Old. We talk about pride all the time. But what is pride really? Here's a very simple definition. Pride is the arrogant, disdainful conduct or treatment of others fueled by an excessively high opinion of oneself. Pride is simply thinking more of ourselves than we ought. That's simple. We can understand that. When we elevate ourselves, when we think more about ourselves, when we see ourselves as the center of the universe. Do you know that? That's, that's our culture. Do you know why people cut you off in, on the highway and butt in front of you at Walmart and steal the... And, and they, do you know why people do that? Because they think that, that the world revolves around them. And we've got a whole culture that does that. Don't look so innocent out there this morning. You know, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's so foreign to me. No, we all think sometimes we, we, we put ourselves first. We think about ourselves first. You say, oh, I never do that. Okay, if somebody shows you a picture of a group, who do you look for in it first? Do I look for my friend? No, you don't. You look for yourself. You want to make sure you looked right. Your eyes weren't closed. Your zipper was up. You want to make sure all that. What is that? It's pride. It's self-awareness. It's us thinking we're the center of everything. It's human nature. Pride is thinking more of ourselves than we ought. You know, the world sometimes revels in pride and sees it as a character strength. Have some pride in yourself. Take some pride in your work. You know, you know don't, don't take any guff from anybody. Just, you know, you know, stand your ground. Doesn't the world teach us stuff like that? 
The Christian doesn't see pride as a character asset. We see it as a moral failure. It's very different. You know, Charles Spurgeon noted that pride wasn't just a a quirk in our character. Pride was, in fact, according to Scripture, sin. Spurgeon gives this definition of pride. He says, the sin of pride refers to a high or exalted attitude, the opposite of the virtue of humility, which is the appropriate posture people ought to have before God. You see, pride is the opposite of humility. Humility is what God is looking for in every single one of us. Pride will estrange us from God. Humility will endear us to God. You know, the original victim of pride was Lucifer. You say, has pride messed people up? Since the beginning, it's messed people up. Pride is the original sin, and Lucifer was the original victim of pride. Listen to Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Who's talking here? Lucifer's talking. If you don't know this, Lucifer, who became Satan, was the ministering uh, angel in heaven who led worship in heaven. He was the worship leader. He would lead worship in the congregation before the Lord. And and some theologians say from certain scriptures that actually music emanated from his body. Wow. And here's Lucifer. And this is what comes out of Lucifer's heart, who had this amazing position in heaven that he would be the worship leader. He said, "Uh, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Now, if you were paying attention in there, what he said over and over again is, I will, I will, I will. I will. And finally, to the point, well, not that I want to be like God, I want to be equal, I want to be God. Jesus said at that moment he saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Lucifer was the original victim of pride. His pride led him to fall from grace. He used to reflect the glory of God, and then he lost that. He was stripped of his spiritual office. No longer was he the worship leader in heaven, but he fell, and immediately he was, he was thrown out of heaven for pride. Pride never got, listen, pride never did anything good for anyone, and it's the only thing that'll get you kicked out of heaven. I know it's uncomfortable to talk about pride, but it's something that we all struggle with, and it's something that the Scripture is pointing out to us today, so we got to take an honest look at it. It cost Lucifer everything. He fell from grace. He was stripped of his office. He was thrown out of heaven, and he became Satan, and we all know about what he does to what God loves. The reason that God has such a problem with the kingdom of darkness is because it destroys people. And God loves people, amen? So I want to say some things to you about pride. We're foolish to think for even a minute that our own pride won't derail our spiritual potential just like it did Lucifer's. Oh, well, you know, God knows my heart, and God knows, uh, you know, I come from this kind of upbringing, or, you know, God knows I come from a proud heritage, or blah, blah. We make all kinds of excuses, but pride will still derail our spiritual growth. 
pride will still cost us our spiritual development, our spiritual promotion. You know, there's people that should be in leadership, that should be in missions, that should be in ministry, that should be behind pulpits, and they're not because they never learned to crucify pride and God can't use them because they got too much flesh and God can't put them in the place that he designed them for until they deal with pride. Mm. God can deal with our pride. He can deal with our quirks and our flaws and our failures only if we're humble enough to be honest about them and repent. Pride prevents us from repenting. Pride prevents us from being humble. Look what Spurgeon said. What? It's the opposite of the virtue of humility. So if I'm in pride and, and I, got, I got a mess in my heart, my pride will keep me from coming to God and being humble and repenting. And it'll keep me from my spiritual potential. And that's why God hates it. God wants to see each and every one of us fulfill our destiny, fulfill our calling, walk in the richness of the anointing he has for us. He, he wants to see us reach our maximum potential in Christ. But pride will stop all of that. If we repent, he can forgive us and cleanse us. But pride keeps us from repentance. Listen to James 4, 6 through 7. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you hear that? It didn't say God resists the proud unless they're a Christian. It didn't say God resists the proud, uh, but if they speak in tongues, he doesn't. No, he says he resists the proud, whether they're lost, saved, or any shade in between. <laughs> So listen, if I'm proud and I'm a Christian, then instead of having the favor of God in my life, now I have the resistance of God in my life. I don't know about you people, but life is hard enough to have God resisting me. I need God's favor in my life, and so do you, amen? Amen, come on, second service. Is it getting hot in here? You falling asleep on me? I'm preaching good. Paul explicitly warns against being proud in this way of thinking. Listen to Romans 12, 3. For I say to you through grace, the grace given unto me, to every man, listen, that is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. You see that? That's exactly what we were getting out of the definition. Pride is thinking more of ourselves than we should. Here's Paul saying not to think more of ourselves than we ought to think. Listen to this. But to think soberly according as God has dealt every man the measure of grace. Say soberly. Not thinking of ourselves rightly and thinking more of ourselves than we ought is, is actually being intoxicated by pride. A sober person thinks clearly. An intoxicated person does not think clearly. A person who thinks more of themselves than they ought is drunk with pride, and they are not in touch with reality. Why? It says here that we should think accordingly as God has dealt every man the measure of faith. It's God's grace in our life that we should revel in, amen? It, it would be so beautiful if we could just categorically remove pride from our lives and just be humble in every way. What a beautiful experience it would be for us in dealing with other people. What a beautiful experience it would be in our marriages if we could get pride out of the way, in our relationships. Come on, you look like statues out there. You say, well, I didn't come here today getting rid of anything, and I want to keep some of that pride because 
You know, some people think if they let their pride go that they'll get taken advantage of. Man, right? I mean, some of us work in work environments where if we just show a little bit of weakness or a little bit of humility, they'll ride us all day long. <laughs> some, some people know what I'm talking about. And you think, man, I can't let my, I got to be, I got I to gotta be a little cocky. I got to have a little swagger. Otherwise, they're going to eat me alive. The world is starving for humble people. Starving for people who will just put the bravado down and stop with the machismo and all of this swagger that we got and just look people in the eyes with love and listen to them and be humble. Amen. Pride was the original sin. It's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. Paul warns us against pride. So you say, well, what does pride look like in, 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 the, in the real world? So we're going to take a look at that today. But, you know, pride, this haughty eyes or this proud look that people give, what does that look like in real life? Well, we've all seen it before. We've seen it in people who are arrogant and defiant and even in the face of uh, being exposed or in the face of criticism, instead of humbling themselves, they what? They stiffen up their back and they stand erect and they put their nose in the air. Have you ever seen people like that? They're just, man, I, there's a posture to pride. I've seen it in a cocky person, you know, just, I mean, they get that nose up there in there. It makes me just want to go up and chop them in the throat. <laughs> I'm saved, but I'm still Sicilian. He's working on me. You see, you see the posture of pride. They, 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 they're like this. I've seen paintings of people. And, you know, while their nose is in the air, at the same time, they're looking down on everybody else. Because they see everybody else, God, he has less than themselves. What an ugly thing. What an unbecoming posture for a Christian who's saved by grace, amen. Amen. Pride has a posture to it. We've all seen it before. Uh, you know, people display this, this attitude of pride, and, and, and they stick their nose in there, and they look down at everyone else, and they're, they're always putting people down. Maybe you work with people like that. They've always got to pick at you and put you down and make fun of you so they feel better about themselves. What is that? That's insecurity that's fueled by pride. You know, and as horrible as this sounds... <laughs> Here's a newsflash for all of us. We're all capable of it. I'm capable of it. You're capable of it. All of us. No, no, no. I was born without the pride. No, I'm, uh, no, all of us can get proud. All of us can think we're the center of the universe. We're all capable of it. In fact, did you ever catch yourself about to look down on someone? I have. <laughs> Somebody pulls into the parking lot real close to your car, and their car is a wreck. It's all different colors. They got a brown trunk, a blue door, no muffler. It's loud. Grrr, here it comes. Ugh. It's smoking like Mount St. Helens. It's burning oil. You can smell Preston. It's just a mess. And they pull right up next to you, and, and, and it's all rusted. And you're like, dude, get away from me with that thing. I don't think I even have a tetanus shot. Just stay away. And yet there's been times where I've, I've seen, the, you know, like come in loud mufflers all trying to fin on the back. Like, I'm just about to look down on this person. And then God reminds me of the things that I used to drive. Man, I drove some, I still drove some of the worst cars. I had a car that leaked so much oil, I would pull into the gas station and say, change the oil and check the gas. 
bad, rusted, loud, holds, you know, and we forget where we come from. And then all of a sudden we think, well, I got a new car, so now, oh, look at you with your smoking rust bucket. Get away from me. If you've ever caught yourself about to look down on somebody, and, and then the Holy Spirit's like, hello, and you're like, busted. Man, we've got to stay humble because we're all capable of becoming proud and giving people a look like they're beneath us. When we treat those who aren't as good at us as something like they're trash, we're guilty of this sin. When we openly mock someone because they're less intelligent than us and we try and make them feel stupid, we're guilty of this sin. When we use our position of authority that we got in to treat others badly just because we can get away with it, we're guilty of this sin. When we look down on the young and the poor and the simple with disdain as if they're beneath us, we're guilty of this sin. The proud look, the haughty eyes, the thinking more of ourselves than we ought, the looking down on others. Jesus loved everybody. If anyone could look down on all of creation, it was Jesus, but he never did. There was love in his eyes, and people were drawn to him because of his humility. Wow. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a lover of people like the Father. Amen? I don't want to be like Lucifer who is walking around, I will, I will, I will, I will be like the Most High. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from the heavens. Woo! Pride's dangerous, and it's got to go. Are you really good at something? Are you intelligent? Are you in a position of authority? Are you old, wise, and savvy? Have you produced fruit and achieved many things in your life? Glory to God. It's all by his grace. Humility is not denying what we're good at or what we've accomplished. Humility is saying, yeah, all that is the grace of God in my life, but I'm still a sinner saved by grace. So understand how to implement humility here. We we take the blessing, we take the compliment, we enjoy the fruit, and we revel in it, and we give glory to God. And and we understand that we're susceptible to pride, but if we've accomplished all these things and, and we've got all these attributes and all of these gifts, realize this, those things exponentially increase the odds that we'll be tempted to be proud. The great theologian Ben Parker said, with great power comes great responsibility. Some of you didn't get that. That was Second Spider-Man 418. <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. You say, is that in the Bible? No. But it resonates with us because it's absolutely true. With all these blessings and all these giftings and all these fruits and all the things that God put in us, that gives us a responsibility not to use those things to make others feel bad about themselves, but to be humble enough to help others and elevate them. Amen. Pride suppresses people. Pride lords over people. Pride makes others feel less about themselves. Humility lifts people up. If I'm good at something, let me teach it to you. If I've accomplished something, let me show you how I did it. If I produce fruit in my life, let me teach you how God was able to do that with a sinner like me. Come on. It's about helping people become everything God intended them to be. With great power comes great responsibility. 
I knew a person, they were a young person when I was a youth pastor, and they had great gifts and great potential, and they were really intelligent, and, and they were, you know, they were good-looking. They had all of these things going for them, and you know what? At times, nobody liked them, and you know why? Because that person used all of those advantages to make others feel less than them. And I remember saying to them, you know why nobody likes you? Because you have a lot of blessings and you, 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 you use them to make people feel like they're less than you. And until you learn to be humble, no one's going to like you. How'd you like to have me as your youth pastor? And I hope they got it. And I think they did. And they did grow up over time. And hopefully they got that under control. But listen, we can have all these advantages and all these blessings and all these gifts and all it does is inflame our pride and, and, and makes not only God resist us, but people don't like us either. Trust me, the world doesn't need one more condescending, conceited, arrogant person in it. We need people who love God, who love others, who embrace humility, who reject pride, and who help everyone they can to see the risen Christ and to reach their potential in Jesus Christ. Let's give him praise today. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, number one. Let's bow our heads. Father, we recognize the sinfulness of pride. We recognize how ugly and detestable it is. And Father, we pray today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would root out every trace of pride in us. Father, that you would make us truly humble, that we would see ourselves uh, not as the world sees themselves in success and achievements, but we'd see ourselves as the products of grace. God, that the giftings we have, uh, the talents we have, the abilities we have were all given to us so that we could help others and glorify you. God, forgive us when we've used those things to elevate ourselves. Drive pride from our hearts and our lips and help us never to look down on others but to reach down to others and to pull them closer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning.